Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary Jerome McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Sean Farrell. Patrick, how are you this week? I'm positively fantastic, Gary, even if you do insist on using our middle names. Now, every, every few episodes, I'll cycle my introduction, but for now, that's it. I'm going to start singing a song as we, as we get closer to Christmas. So No, 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 no. Prepare. Definitely not. You should just start using your middle name as your first name. I actually want to. I was actually thinking about that the other day because I was watching Dublin Murders and like there's like, you know, changing their identities and stuff. And I was like, I'm just going to start calling myself Jerome. That's fair enough. I can't call myself Sean because that's my brother's name. True. Yeah. It's kind of boring as well. Like you can't go around saying like, no, I am Jerome. Germ. Germ. It is germ. Anyway, so this is our Q&A episode. Um, and the question today, I actually got it from one of my clients uh, over the weekend. Um, it's a really insightful question. And like, as we always say, with our, like with our coaching, whenever we start an individual with coaching, we always kind of lay out, well, not always, but a lot of the time we kind of lay out that our goal is to effectively not be their coach forever. You know, like we're entering into the coaching process with the implicit idea that I don't want you to be dependent on me. Right. I don't want you to be dependent on this coaching process. Yes. You're at a stage right now where you need guidance, you need education, you need someone to effectively hold your hand and bring you down the path, show you the right path, make sure you stay on the path, essentially guide you towards your goals. Right. But in my eyes, at least, and I know in your eyes as well, Gary, there should come a point where, you know, we let go of your hand and let you walk on your own. You know, it's the same. It's, it's effectively like you would raise kids, you know, you can't protect them forever and they effectively need to make mistakes themselves. Right. But you obviously want to educate them enough so that those mistakes they make, they can either learn from those mistakes further down the line or they can learn not to make those mistakes ahead of time. Does that make sense, right? So obviously we, we have a, the whole tagline of, you know, empowerment through education. And that is something that we try to instill in our clients. So try to get them to ask questions, try to get them to think a little bit deeper about different topics. And obviously, again, the process does involve us somewhat being a guru, like we're the, the source of information, but that's only at the start. Like the, the process should eventually get to where they are effectively their own guru. You know, like they, they understand the principles. They understand how to organize things training-wise, diet-wise. And while, yeah, they may not be a, a, an exercise professional or a nutrition professional or whatever, they have enough knowledge that whatever they encounter, they have some sort of framework to deal with that, you know? And that's where we always try to get people to, right? And this is that's just the kind of preface to or preface to this question because again like talking to individuals you know i always make it clear that you know oh well with your goals you know with where you want to do we can probably achieve things in 20 weeks say and then we're going to start talking about a, a kind of transition process after that you know whether that's like oh just check in with me you know once a month or you know just just check back with me send me a text or so if you have any questions or anything like that and you'll give them a process of how to transition from coaching to not coaching, right? And once you lay that out, like it can be kind of a little bit fear inducing as a client or as a 
coach yourself where you're kind of like, I'm telling my client to essentially fuck off eventually, you know? And that, that, that effectively means that you will be out of pocket, you'll be out of money, you have to get a new client, but that should be the goal always. Now, obviously, that's, I say it should be the goal always, but that's not necessarily a short-term time horizon. Like, you, you could be thinking, like, this person is going to need me, quote-unquote, need me for two, three years. And I don't mean that in terms of, you know, oh, you have a fat loss client that just wants to tone up and like that. It shouldn't take you three years to achieve that. But they could be, say you could be a bodybuilding coach and this person is trying to become an IFBB pro or something like that. And you're like, yeah, but where you're at, it's going to take us three years to achieve that. You know, we're going to do these competitions along the way so that you can qualify, blah, blah, blah. But it's effectively a three-year time period at the very least, you know? So Again, it could be a very long-term process that you're with those in individuals. But anyway, that's the that's kind of preface or preface uh, to this question. Uh, so one of my clients was just wondering, you know, how, do you, like, how does he eventually transition away from coaching? Because right now we're in this kind of period of time where we were dieting for a while. He, he's a, uh, we'll call it a, a mixed goal individual. You know, he wanted to improve his body composition, but he also plays gap right? So we've obviously been playing between those two different things, you know, prioritizing one or the other at certain time points while obviously respecting the other one, right? And for the last while, he was in a bit of a, a deficit, right? And the next thing then is like, okay, we're going to go back to uh, a maintenance level and we're going to go back to eventually increasing calories, right? Because again, he wanted to build some muscle, you know, perform better in the gym, et cetera. And that is where he's at currently. But he's kind of wondering, this is the exact question, how do you know when it's best to increase your calories? He's like, I know it's probably experience as a coach, but are there any telltale signs? Is it when weight is remaining at a stable level and lifts are beginning to plateau? Question mark. Uh, just so I know for myself in future, right? And that's, a, that's the kind of question he was putting in, you know? And effectively it's like, okay, well, we've been in a maintenance, like we are in a diet period, we got the results we wanted. We brought her back with maintenance. That's fairly understandable. It's like you you were dieting for a very particular goal. You now want to maintain that. You're, you want to maintain the results. You know, maybe you accept that there might be a, a slight bit of a backslide. That's why I always say to people, I'm like, wherever you think you want to be, we're essentially going to go a bit like maybe 5% beyond that, you know, in most cases, like obviously all cases, but 5% beyond that or 2% beyond that, just a little bit beyond that anyway, you know, so that when we bring it back up to maintenance, you know, you might hold a little bit more water, you might, you know, feel a little bit bigger and maybe you don't want that, but it's like we have built a little bit of a buffer so it allows us to find a better maintenance calorie level and not have any issues, essentially, right? So that's fairly obvious. You know, I say it's fairly obvious, but that's fairly intuitive. It's like you dieted, you want to maintain what you've got to. So we're going to bring calories up to maintenance. And then we're going to hang out around there. I, I think that's fairly intuitive enough, Gary. Would you agree? Yeah, I think that's fair. Reasonable. And then from that, it's like, okay, so we're training away. We're eating at a maintenance level. But, you know, actually I have some performance goals. Or I have some, you know, strength goals. Or I actually want to actually gain a little bit more muscle, you know. So I want to eat, in, eat at a, a calorie surplus, you know. So that's where we're at. And that's fairly easy, the initial calorie surplus. You're like okay, I've read some of the guy's articles, I've listened to them on the podcast, watched their videos, and I'm going to be somewhat 
safe, we'll call it, in my estimation. I'm only going to add 250 calories, we'll say, to, to my maintenance level where I've been maintaining that, right? And I'm going to essentially squeeze that for all it's worth. But then obviously there comes a point where you start to plateau in either weight gain or strength gain or muscle gain. Like, hey, where, where do you go from here, Gary? Like, what's the next few steps after that? You've, been, you've, you've done the maintenance period. You're like, yeah, cool, maintained what I got. Still stayed relatively lean. Got a little bit, you know, a tiny a millimeter of fat gain on my abs, which I was happy with. That was fine, you know? And I've started gaining a small bit of fat gain here. Not, not much, you know, I, was getting, I wasn't being too aggressive in my calorie surplus. And performance has been going well. Strength has been going up. Feel more energetic. Getting more boners. Like, everything fucking on point right when do you know to increase next you know like again obviously presuming this is you don't have a specific time point you don't have a specific like timeline that you're like oh i need to start dieting for this holiday that i have in eight weeks or you know that kind of stuff it's like this is just a multi-year thing this is your overall goals long term you know and again maybe you might have a sport as well that you're like yeah i want to kind of get good at that as well you know um how do we how do we navigate that going forward perfect so it's a good question and an important question because i think this is probably one of the places that the majority of people who maybe don't have coaching experience or who haven't read into this stuff very much do get confused because the way that we i say we as you know the typical fitness industry kind of educator type of people people who put out information often we can be guilty of describing things as if they are static systems. And what I mean by that is that input, you know, once you know what your input is, you get a predictable output and it, we can kind of leave it at that. And, and a classic example of that is when people talk about calories in calories out, you know, so they talk about, you know, balancing or imbalancing their energy intake and their energy output. So the typical way that people will go about that is that they try to find some sort of way that they can calculate their maintenance calories and then they make their nutrition decisions based on that. So they have a value. If they want to gain weight, they'll add a certain number, let's say two to 300 calories. If they want to lose weight, they'll take away a similar amount of calories. And it's all very nice and simple in theory. And when you start that process, you may see things actually move in that, in that direction predictably as you predicted. And you're like, Oh, this is great. I've got the hang of things. However, like, the human phys physiology, like it's, it's not a very simple input output system. It's a, it's a complex system. And if you have an understanding of metabolism and how, you know, endocrinology hormones fit into that, it starts to become a lot less clear what output you're going to get in response to your input, especially when you add a given period of time to that. And what I mean by that, like operates in both directions. So people are very familiar with what happens when we diet. Okay. So people will, you know, understand that when you take calories away, when you're dieting, it's pretty normal for your metabolic rate, your total daily energy expenditure to reduce, to, to reduce through multiple different mechanisms. You know, we've discussed them many times, including like your non-exercise activity, your, your basal metabolic rate through, purely because you're, you're carrying around, you know, less body waste, your exercise activity, um, energy expenditure, etc. So basically, people understand that there's somewhat 
of an adaptive nature to dieting. So your metabolic rate begins to reduce to some degree your total energy expenditure. But the same thing happens in the opposite direction. Um, and the funny thing is that in the opposite direction, it's, it's, almost it's always celebrated as a win and it's almost presented as being like a mystical thing that's only available to, to uh, advanced coaches. And what I mean by that is that you, you always see people celebrating the idea that I got my client up to this level of calories. Look at me, you know, I'm, I'm fixing this person's metabolism or whatever. Whereas if you actually just look at these as being relatively normal adaptations just in the opposite direction, it's easier to understand why these things are taking place. And let me give you an actual real world example that we were just talking about before we got on air. So I was just saying to Patty before this podcast that, you know, I've been sweating a shit ton in bed recently. Okay. So like the quilt is like wet when I'm waking up and everything. I'm like, I'm like, God, like what's the, what's the story here? You know, my girlfriend's not too happy. She's like, Why, what's going on here? But one of the things that she actually said that was like a, a it's illustrative in this example is that she said, like this was this wasn't happening all along like since we moved into this place but one of the things that has changed in that time is that for the first four to six weeks that we were here i was preparing for the jiu-jitsu competition that i did so i was engaging in like relatively rapid weight loss okay so i was i was in a weight loss phase meaning i was in a calorie deficit and like any additional sweating no like that that just wasn't a thing because my body is in a place where it's trying to conserve energy. So it's not going to produce unnecessary heat. And that's one of the things that people experience when they diet. However, having come out of that and being like, let's say six weeks later, I'm now in a period where I've been overfeeding for a period of six weeks. I initially experienced some weight gain at the level of calories I was consuming. But thereafter, I started to experience those metabolic adaptations in the opposite direction. So now I've got additional heat production. So, you know, we, we've talked about things like, like uncoupling before where you basically get increases in heat dissipation, like is, is fundamentally the end product without producing extra energy in response to the food that you consume. So that is just one of many things that can happen when you are overfeeding. And so, just, just to put that into yeah. even more perspective, like you as an individual have a very, we'll call it an adaptive, you know, metabolism. Yeah. Like I remember the last time when we dieted in like, like then, like really lean. I think that was like 2017, was it? Yeah. You know? And like, there was a point when we were dieting and we were probably similar enough body fat. Like, I think I was actually a little bit leaner than you at, at the stage, but you would effectively stop sweating. Like yeah, all the time. Like, we were During training even. Training, you know, and I'm here like sweating like a boar, fucking like we're going hard training, you know, doing our stuff, even during cardio, doing whatever the fuck. And like, I'd be sweating and like there would be like Gary's skin would be like dry. There'd be not even a, a, a slight break of sweat. Right. And this, this, this is also illustrative of how if you're a coach listening to this and you're thinking, ah, oh, yeah, like it's, I understand this stuff. It's, it's fine. Also, if you're an individual listening to this and you're like, what, what's going on? Like, first of all, there is the, the, the baseline science, we'll call it that metabolism, whatever. But when you're actually getting into the, the coaching of that, the actual application of that, you're going to see these differences between individuals. Like me personally, like, like my metabolism is actually retarded. As in like, like I don't have a good metabolism if I was in a, uh, an Auschwitz style situation, some concentration camp. 
you know like i just fidget a huge amount i have no like i'm like a radiator like all the time my body is always always warm you know like we were when we went camping in america in america america we were in oregon and like it was at it was just above freezing and i was fucking roasting the entire time like like my girlfriend had to cuddle into me because she was so cold and she was wearing like four hoodies and I was in a t-shirt, you know? So like this, this is good in some, some circumstances, but you can also think that that's a, a bad adaptation in terms of long-term survivability in the environment. Like I would just waste all my energy. So if I don't have enough energy coming in, I essentially waste that all away. And that doesn't change whether I'm in, uh, well, it actually does, but to a less to a less extent, like than Gary's, like it doesn't change whether I'm in a diet phase or like eating out of surplus. Like I always have that baseline uh, heat generation, you know, that baseline. I just move around loads, you know. And as a coach, when you're doing this, this again comes back to the question: It's like, is it just experience? You know, as, as a coach, it's like first of all, you're going to have to. As, as a coach yourself you're going to have to do a lot of experimentation with different individuals and don't think that it's a very clear-cut thing but also if you're coaching yourself effectively you need to experience these things and then adjust based on how you see your body responding but the unfortunate thing is it's not a static thing it's not something that like oh you'll always respond like this you know it, it, it's a case where it's like oh no you might change based on where you are, like say you have a very adaptive uh, metabolism like you, you might be able to, ex you might experience things during a, a surplus that are completely opposite to how you experience things in a deficit, you know? And that could be just like lived experience, like, you know, the sweating in the bed and stuff like that, you know? So it's like, this, this is why this is such a good question because it is so, like you actually have to understand so much to really get the answer to this you know anyway but that was just a bit of further nuance sorry yeah but it is important to point it out because there are very clearly different like different phenotypes when we talk about this stuff because like the way people typically will discuss it is that they'll say you know when i i've got it i've got you know an unfavorable metabolism because when i diet um my metabolic rate you know catches up with me really quickly so you experience the the downsides with dieting in that, you know, you're, you sweat less, you're colder, you got less energy, you're more lethargic, et cetera. Um, whereas some people don't actually experience then the, like you would generally not expect them to be, have the same adaptations, the same extent in the opposite direction. Whereas it seems like some people then experience both. Like, and that seems to be the case for me, like for me, whatever about the adaptations, like when I'm dieting, like the adaptations when I'm in a surplus seem to be, like even greater like and probably disproportionate because like there's there's been times where at a body weight of like 80 kilos like i'm eating like north of, of 4,000 calories and i could still be maintaining and obviously activity and everything goes into that but it's very clear to me that i experience those those adaptations like a lot um through things like sweating but anyway um basically the point there is that you like you can't you can't at this point go and get like a a gene test to see like what what exactly what exact genotype do i have and how is that being expressed but that's not even important like it doesn't actually matter all you need to know is how do i respond when i'm in a surplus or in a deficit and how am i going to use that to then inform my decision making and that's where things then become practical so if we take someone like me okay so i i know that when i transition from a deficit to to a surplus that 
I might gain a little bit of weight initially, but I'm going to be catching up pretty soon. You know, I'm going to be act more active. I'm going to be fidgeting. I'm going to want to train like three times a day. Um, and all these things are going to start coming at me. So for me, if I, if I already know that in advance, then I can basically like predict that I'm probably going to need another calorie increase pretty soon. But you don't even need to predict it because all you need to do is actually track what is happening. One of the things that you'll see happening a lot of the time is, let's say you do add an initial 400 calories um, from, your, from your deficit or from maintenance or whatever. And in the first two weeks, you start to see a big increase in body weight. And you're like, oh God, maybe I've pushed it too far. But what you'll often see is that, that those initial increases are because you're now holding a little bit more food in your gut because previously you're, you, know, you were able to get rid of things pretty quickly. Um, you have more muscle glycogen stored when water comes along with that. And maybe you just have another bit of subcutaneous water retention. Um, so you've got different things that are being held within your body that might account for that weight. So then after that initial two-week period, just, you're basically... Just on that as well. It's also, this is a, another individual thing. Like I know personally, again, from the experience that I've had doing, doing these things myself, I'm like, I know as soon as I transition from a diet into eating where I think maintenance is, even if it is actually still in a deficit like say i'm 100 calories below maintenance when i thought i was at maintenance you know so i'm still my weight slowly over the, the weeks or whatever still trends down like i know bringing my calories up results especially if it's carbohydrates results in like two to three kilo increase on the scale you know like consistently even if it is only 300 calories you know and i think that really throws people off like you're saying, like the initial weight gain, people are like, oh, fuck, it's fat gain. But like, uh, uh, like that happens to me in like two to three days, you know? And then it's like that maintains that level, you know? So obviously like that makes sense for me. Like I'm, I'm a relatively large individual, tall, etc. So, you know, once I've refilled, like I have a lot of capacity for storing glycogen just by virtue of having a large surface area, not by virtue of having large muscles. And... Uh, <laughs> um, so it's like, I, I, I know for me as an individual that that's the case. And again, like Gary's saying, it's like it, it, that can kind of throw you off if you've never experienced that before. Anyway, go on, Gary. Yeah. So then, then you essentially get to that stable point. So you get to that point where you have stabilized at that level of calories and maybe you start to notice maybe some of those adaptations in the opposite direction. You got a bit more energy, you know, you're starting to sweat a little bit more. You're generally warmer, et cetera. So like what I would then do if I was stabilized for a week, I'd be like, okay, let's give it another week. Like I generally use like two weeks as my kind of period of time, most of the time before I'll make a decision. Um, because like one week just doesn't give you a whole lot of information. So you just, wait it out two weeks. Just on that as well, like you, you probably even need more if you're a female. Yes. You know, because there's going to be, you also have to layer on top that like, you're going to have like menstrual cycle differences, you know, so you kind of have to compare like like week to like week, like week one of your cycle to week one of your next cycle, you know, which, which really kind of complicates the issue in terms of like adhering to a plan. Cause you're like, Oh, well, when do I need to do this? Because, you know, I saw my weight increase here and it's like, you just have to kind of ride that out. But in general, I do like that two to three week period where it's like, let's, let's just ease off, see how things go. Yeah, exactly. And I mean like that you can you can get even you can get more more nuanced and accurate with your predictions as a female as well if you already know your body, like if you already know like what what fluctuations you generally expect, you know, over the course of your cycle because for example, let's say it is the first, you know, 2 weeks of your cycle and you normally experience a drop a net drop in weight over that period of time. 
Whereas now you see, oh God, my weight's increased by a kilo or whatever. Then you're like, all right, we're definitely moving in the right direction. Whereas if that was the second half of your cycle, you'd be saying, oh, well, I actually normally experience a kilo weight gain anyway. So this might be actually normal, but that comes down to your own individual cycle. And that's the importance of actually having data in front of you, like why you should actually track some of these things because you can learn to make more effective decisions. But yeah, so you get to that point where you're stable then. And then like, it really does become a question of, um, what is the actual goal of you increasing your calories? Because one example where you might want to be, you know, a little bit more aggressive with continuing to push calories up is if you have been at the end of a long diet, you experience a lot of the quote unquote negative adaptations that we discussed and you're trying to reverse those as soon as possible. In that case, you know, you might've stabilized, but you're still not feeling back at your back at your baseline. Okay. So you might feel like your libido still low. You might feel like you're still quite cold. You're, you've got don't have much energy in that case. Like you might, you want to keep on increasing, you know, pretty much immediately because you're saying to yourself, all right, well, I'm not at the point where I've, I've added insufficient energy um, to get the positive adaptations or to bring things back to baseline. The other thing you might want to do there is ask yourself where your predicted maintenance is versus previous predicted maintenance levels. And what I mean by that is if you started your diet, let's say at um, 70 or 80 kilos, let's say you started your diet at 80 kilos and your previous maintenance was like 3000 calories, and then you, you dieted down, but you only dieted to like 76 kilos, but your maintenance at the end of that diet was like 2000 calories, let's say, then there's a thousand calorie change, a one third change for a very you know small change in body weight. So if you, if you then add in like 200, 300 calories and you're still only at 2200, then you know, or at least you, you can fairly reliably predict that there's opportunity for you to keep increasing your maintenance from here to get back to kind of your baseline level of function so that's that's just a peripheral consideration as well but i guess the place that this question becomes most important is for that person who's actually trying to build muscle and strength like that is fundamentally like why this person is asking the question and in that case if you're stable if you've stabilized for for a week or two for two weeks let's say then i would continue to add calories again i would add you know two to three hundred calories i'd let things go for two weeks and see where see where body weight goes and if body weight begins to trend in the upward direction then i'd be saying to myself okay it looks like like we might be on the path but you don't just you don't just rest and leave that as your last decision you repeat the process you say to yourself okay what's happening then over the subsequent two weeks and generally what you'll notice is that you might actually stabilize again and the extent to which that will happen as we discussed previously is going to vary between individuals. You know, I've got one. I've got one client, two clients actually, two guys who are very similar in terms of their responses. But they're they're both in like the kind of eighty kilo range. Actually, one one is in the seventies, one is in the eighties. But their their level for maintenance is like north of four thousand. So sometimes, like, you know, we go we we transition out of a maintenance period or a dieting period, and like the increases in calories just seem ridiculous. It's like all right, 200 this week. Okay, 200 this week. All right, we're, we still need to keep adding 200. And um, that's particularly the case for people who work in like manual labor jobs or whatever. There's a lot of things that happen that you might necessarily notice. Like for example, when you were dieting, you might've been saying, oh yeah, let's oil that. I'll get the tea or, or maybe I'll do like, I'll do just a, a bit of this job or a bit of that job instead of doing all the heavy manual labor. Whereas when you have, you know, more energy, then you're like, yeah, fuck it. I'll do that. I'll lift all the blocks. I'll do all the, the shoveling, whatever. Um, so they're, they're the things that happen behind the scenes uh, that people often don't, don't make consciously, I guess. Yeah. And then 
that's obviously like all of that is obviously somewhat theoretical in a practical sense. Um, but what it kind of boils down to, like you need to understand that stuff, right? You need to understand that, you know, metabolism is an adaptive thing. It's going to change. It's not like, can't just bang things into a calculator and be like, that's, that is the number, right? So you understand that you're like, okay, so I'm going to have to vary things based on how my body is responding based on how my energy output and all that kind of stuff is responding. But essentially you need to bring it back to your actual goals, right? Like Gary was saying there, it's like, this is obviously most relevant for someone that wants to, you know, gain muscle, increase performance, do whatever, right? You should have some clearly defined goals, metrics within that, right? Now, this, this is not great, but you can use weight like on, on the scales yourself, of your, 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 yourself, you know, uh, as a metric, right? And that's obviously going to be a proxy for muscle gain, right? But then you have to layer on like, okay, well, what is an actual realistic rate of gain, you know, for an individual, right? And this, this is where you start really getting into, again, the, the experience as a coach, you know, it's like, well, like, you, you know, you as an individual, this is your first year of training. You just dieted down. You came to this as at a, a body fatness that you were like, I'm unhappy with that. I want to you know, see a six pack. And now you're kind of going into a muscle gain phase. You know, you want to increase your performance. You want to gain some muscle. It's like, that's a totally different experience than someone that's like coming from this, they dieted for, you know, they wanted to get leaner for summer, but they have 10 years of training experience, you know? So that like you have to layer on your goals for one, but then also the expectations for you as an individual, you know? So to to make that more like kind of practical in terms of actually understanding that, like we'll, we'll say it's a good rough and ready number. The maximum amount of muscle you can put on in a month is about a kilo, right? Being realistic. Right. And, and that, that effectively only really applies to individuals that are in their, their earlier stages of their, their training, their lifting, whatever. Right. If you are, have been training for five, 10 years, it's like, that's not going to happen. It's just simply not going to happen that you're going to gain a kilo of muscle per month. Right. So it's kind of inverse. The, the number of years you've been training, the less muscle you can gain. Right. So you actually get less response for the same or increased effort. Right. So that has to be layered on to your expectations and then how you would actually go about trying to gain muscle or how you would go about, you know, increasing your calories. So if you know, okay, well, like I'm in my first few years of training, I seem to have a relatively good response to training because obviously that plays into it as well. And you can probably be a little bit more aggressive with your calorie increases, you know? If you're like, okay, cool, you know, I, I wanted to gain roughly 250 grams this week in, in body weight, which obviously accounts for, you know, day-to-day variance, like that's obviously all going to play into it, but a rough trend, uh, then you can go, okay, I didn't gain that, or I actually seem to have lost weight in this trend line because my metabolism seems to be somewhat adaptive and I increased sweating and did whatever, uh, I'm going to increase it again next week. See how I get on with that. Again, usually again, we try to say like that two to three weeks, see how it goes. But sometimes you're going to have to be a little bit more aggressive than that. And effectively, you just want to get to a rate of gain that is appropriate for your level of experience. And obviously, your 
genetically determined response, you know? And like, for example, you, the individual might be, uh, uh, again, early in their career, they'd be like, okay, I'm going to try actually gain a kilo of, like just a kilo per month, right? But over a 12 year, or sorry, 12 year, over a 12 month time period, you know, it's like that's 12 kilos of muscle that I could potentially gain, you know? That'd be fairly fucking good return on investment, you know? And so if you're earlier in your lifting career, that would make sense to be a little bit more aggressive, right? But if you're later in your lifting career, it's like, it doesn't really make sense to be that aggressive with trying to gain muscle. It's like, you need to go think about like, oh, if I gain a kilo in a year, that would be a fairly good return on investment, you know? So again, it, it depends on where you are on that spectrum. You have to be respectful of your actual genetic response and then also your experienced like your experience in terms of resistance training and all this kind of stuff. And again, same with the, the performance, like I'm saying like muscle gain because that's one of the things, but it could also be like performance, you know? If you squat 300 kilos, it's like you're not, the, the, the rate of gain is going to be slower than the rate of gain for someone that squats 30 kilos, you know? It's like the person that's coming into this and it's like, oh, I've never trained before. And you're like, oh, I can just about do the bar, you know? And it's like, okay, well, you have such such a, an ability to adapt going forward because the only way is up, you know? Whereas if you've been training for 15 years and you squat 300 kilos, it's like, like it's very real possibility that the only way is down for you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's like this, this, you have to layer all of that stuff in on top, which that, that essentially comes back to like the, the art of coaching. Cause if you're training yourself, you don't really know what to expect. Whereas if you've trained hundreds of people, thousands of people, it's like you kind of know what to expect, or at least you have some more realistic expectations. You know? Would you agree with that, Gary? Yep, I think that's fair. Um, I think it is important to, you know, set those expectations to understand where you're going, and not to get too too excited with the. Uh, we've talked about it plenty of times. The, the side effects of the increases in calories, you know, in the last, in the last podcast um, that, that you had with, with Broderick, one of the things that you discussed was how people often chase the side effects of training or, or in the case of, of enhanced athletes of performance enhancing drugs. And that can definitely be carried over to nutrition as well. You know, where people initially, when they begin to transition into a surplus, they get real excited because suddenly your veins are popping, you know, you've got all that NO synthase and what and whatnot increasing, you know, your vascularity, you suddenly get all this blood flow, blood flow to your muscles. You do a set of squats, your quads are like super pumped, they're sore and you're walking around the gym and you're like, yeah, bro, you know, I'm feeling, feeling pumped. Sometimes you might even feel leaner, you know, and you're, you start to think, Oh my God, this is what all the bodybuilder gods told me would happen. You know, I had this refeed or this cheat meal and now I feel like a God. And then suddenly you start to fall in love with that feeling of the side effects. And within three, four weeks of you really pushing on with your surplus, you've gained like five, six kilos. And suddenly that little bit of cushioning that's over all of your muscles is, is hiding your veins. Maybe because of your, you've been in such an overfed state, you're response to the the, the insulin, insulin signal or to the overfeeding in general and um, it's just not it's not as great anymore and the side effects they basically just wear off and then what people end up doing is they're like oh i better diet back down now again i didn't actually mean to get this fat this soon so if you can detach yourself 
from those sort of side effect feelings and trust the trust the process like it's pretty cliche but the reason trusting the process is, is important is because like if you understand if you understand what you're doing you've got the knowledge it's easy to make decisions and then you just trust those because you already made good decisions but if you if you're if you're making your, your decisions kind of on a whim and you're just kind of saying oh yeah i'll go based on how it feels you know oh yeah that felt good to have more calories let's add more let's add more then you didn't actually trust your initial knowledge or your perspective decision making, you just kind of went with how you felt. And your feelings, like, yeah, they can be useful, but they're not that reliable, you know. Um, if we all lived by our feelings, you know, we probably wouldn't have a very uh, functional functional civilization. But anyway, um, they, yeah, that would be my message. Don't get too, too caught up in the side effects. You know, if you don't initially feel like, oh, I'm not, I'm not getting that bulking feeling where I'm filling out my t-shirt or I'm filling out my leggings or whatever, don't get don't get caught up in that stuff because it, it can definitely lead you astray and i've seen that with so many individuals um even even people that i've coached like admittedly there's people that i've coached who had a very successful dieting period and we make some decisions afterwards in terms of increasing calories and suddenly they mightn't check in for a couple of weeks um because they kind of just started making their own decisions and then they kind of come back after a few weeks and they're like oh look gary i know i didn't check in but i I got a bit carried away with the kind of weight gain. You know, what should I do now? Should I, should I try and lose weight again? And it's just not a nice position to be in. Yeah. So to kind of wrap this question up, I suppose you want to increase calories when it's appropriate, and that seems like the biggest cop out. (laughs) Yeah. But once you understand that your metabolism is going to change over time. You're going to have to monitor that. You're going to have to see how you respond. If you set goals appropriately in terms of realistic rates of gain, realistic rates of performance gains, and you are constantly bringing that back to your clearly defined goals, you're like, I want to get X amount stronger, or I have these targets, or, you know, again, it's in terms of sport or whatever. It's like, I want to increase my performance X amount. Now, obviously it's like, it's somewhat wishful thinking because you can't be like, well, I want to score fucking 30 goals per game. You know, it's like, that's just not going to happen. You know, it's like you have to make realistic goals and again, have realistic expectations as a result. But once you do all that stuff, it's like, and you constantly keep checking back with that, use that as your guiding light, which again, it, it's hard to do if you're just an individual, you know, coaching yourself. You're like, I don't really know what is realistic. I see these muscle magazines and whatever. And I'm like, is it realistic to weigh hundred kilos and I'm five foot five because this bodybuilder is that. And I, I don't know if he's natural enhanced. Like, I don't know, you know, so you, you, you do have to obviously always couch that be like, like get in touch with someone that you're like, I respect you. I trust you. What is a realistic rate of gain or what is realistic muscle gain? What is realistic strength gain for an individual? But also obviously keep checking back with you as an individual like you might have a fucking unbelievable response to training. You just fucking every single week, it's like five kilos to the bar. No, 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 no. 10. It's easy. You know, and it's just consistently just get stronger and stronger and stronger. You know, and it's like, like again, there's individual responses. You could be an individual. It's like, no, five kilos per month. That's, that's realistic. And you're already only in your first year of training. It's like, all right, look, that's, that's how you respond. There's no, it is a response. It is what it is, you know? Um, so you have to constantly be looking back, like being introspective and ensuring that you are doing the basics like we always talk about. But then 
effectively if you were to be like, all right, I just, you just gave me a cop out answer. You know, what, what should I, what should I do? Like once you're clear on your goals, if you're like, I want to gain a kilo per month, that's realistic rate of gain for muscle for someone that has one to three years of training, you know, they might gain some fat, but they're willing to accept that because they want to ensure that the maximal amount of muscle gain occurs over a 12 month period, we'll say, right? They're like, yeah, I'm happy with some fat gain. So even if it's 50, 50 muscle gain to fat gain, I'm actually happy with that. That's fine. You know, like if I can gain six kilos in a year and I only have to lose six kilos of body fat, then for the next summer, I'm happy with that. That's fine. Right. Cool. Again, you're realistic with your, your expectations. You're like, I'm happy with the trade-offs that occur, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Then you just need to keep checking back that you are on track for that. So you essentially need to break it down into some sort of timeline where you're like, okay, cool. Again, like I said, you're like, there's a 12 month period. I'm thinking beyond just a four week period or a three week period or a week period or whatever. It's like, let's look at this over a longer period of time. How does this fit into the paradigm of, you know, your life? Um, like you spend your twenties getting, oh, I want to get as jacked as possible. And it's like, well, your goals are not aligned with that in terms of your overall life. You know, what you say you want 30 years down the line, you know? So it's like, you have to, again, look at it in a longer time, time frame, you know, and put, put everything into perspective. But then you essentially need to go back to <clears throat> keeping an eye on some like certain metrics. Like again, like scale weight. It's like, okay, I said like, I was happy enough with a 50, 50 mix of muscle gain to fat gain. And that uh, kind of comes down to a one kilo increase per month. And I'm stepping on the scale and I've been increasing two kilos per month. Like, okay. Well, like, you're, you've been too ambitious with your calorie increases. You've been increasing them too frequently or you've been adjusting them too high, you know, when you do it, you know? Like, again, like you'd be surprised how much difference 100 kilo or 100 kilo, 100 calorie increase actually means, you know? And like, obviously there's, there's variance and obviously there's, you know, issues with tracking. It's not 100% accurate, but it's more so the chronic chronic overfeeding, you know, that it accumulates over time, right? So it doesn't have to be massive, but it should be substantial for you as an individual relative to your overall calories, etc. you know? But again, once you keep track, <clears throat> checking back with the metrics that are important for your actual goal, you know, again, if you're like, I want to gain 12 kilos, then you should be tracking your weight, you know? And again, it should be in line with the overall timeline you've created. Again, if it's 12 kilos in a year you're like that's what i want to do like you shouldn't like you might have months where it's like oh well, i actually gained 1.1 and there should be months where it's like oh i got i only got 0.8 it's like that's fine as long as slowly we're trending in the right direction you know whereas if you're like this applies to fat or fat loss as well if it's like oh i want to lose five kilos and you're looking at your trend line and it's like yeah there's some variance but it's still i, I didn't lose anything when you get the the average over the month it's like that's you're not on track for your goals, you know? So essentially you need to have some metrics that you're tracking, have a, a realistic expectation for those metrics, and then you should have a realistic time frame for those metrics. And if you use those kind of three things, then you'll effectively know when to increase your calories because you'll either be on point for those <coughs> realistic metrics or you won't be on point for them. Again, the art and science of coaching is being able to set realistic expectations and then being able to look at the data that is presented to you in terms of the individual and then adjusting based on that.
So do you have anything else to add to that, Gary? No, I think that that covers that question pretty comprehensively. You know, I think I'd, I'd feel like I'm on the path if I got that answer. Wonderful. Right. So where can people find us, Gary? People can find us, best place to find us and actually interact with us is in the Triage Method community. That is our free open access Facebook group where Patty and I check in every day to see if people have asked any questions, posted any training videos, more than happy to look over those and provide feedback. So that's the best place to get in touch with us. Um, of course, check out our website, triagemethod.com. That's where you'll find all of our writing, our articles, basically anything that we've, that we've produced is going to be available there, including the podcast and, and everything else. Um, do follow the YouTube channel. We're posting a lot more content there. Patty posted a blog this week. I've got another blog going up today. So you're getting like two, two brand new videos a week, including the podcast videos. So like it's tough to keep up with. And we just made a load of older videos, open access now as well. So maybe you want to check out some of those in your spare time. So plenty of content there, triage method on YouTube. If you want to follow us on Instagram, do. But to be honest, I mean, if you're following, if you're in the triage method community, and you're following the, the YouTube and you're checking out our website, you've got everything you need there. But Instagram is a good place to kind of keep up with everything that we're putting out. And of course, subscribe to the newsletter. It goes out every Sunday, just went out this morning. Um, it's also on the website. If you're like, oh God, I missed this week's newsletter, you can check it out on the website. But do subscribe because we send out um, all the content that we've produced along with additional resources from around the internet um, that I think a lot of people do tend to, to find useful based on you know, people clicking them and stuff like that. So I check that out, that, that stuff out as well. Um, I think that's, that's about everything. Yeah. And then if you do want to engage in any of the services, effectively, we have three different services you can engage in. We have one-to-one -one coaching, nearly full, but we do have a few spaces. I seem like I say that all the time, but the reason I say that all the time is because of the very reason I said at the start of this podcast, where we're trying to get individuals to effectively coach themselves, you know? Yeah. So Obviously, there's a, 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 I call it a high turnover rate. It's not even that high. Like, I've loads of clients that I've been coaching for like two years. Like, I have a client literally finishing up, well, this will go out on Thursday. So, they finished up on Sunday. Um, and like, I had been coaching her for nearly, yeah, nearly the entire time we've had triage, you know? So, it's like, like, there's individuals, it's like, yeah, like, there's, there's a process to this and it just, for some individuals, it takes longer for some individuals, they have different goals and we're, you know, changing things and they want to learn different things. So it's always like that, but effectively we are always losing clients. And I actually think that's a good <laughs> business model to have, you know? Um, so that's, that's why I always seem to say like, Oh, we're nearly full with coaching because we always seem to hover around that, like just that point where it's like, this is our level that we can, maintain and it's like we're you know okay okay yeah we're up and down just just in and around that based on like we'll say there's two to three clients finishing up all the time <laughs> you know um um so yeah that's that's one option you can also get involved in the group coaching which is really starting to tick up there's more individuals getting in there every single week um so that's kind of taking off and that's where i kind of see the health and fitness industry moving towards where you know individuals want coaching and they want help but they don't want they don't need or want you know one-to-one -one very individualized uh coaching it's like no i actually i just need some sort of guidance with my programming i need some sort of guidance with my nutrition and i need someone that i can effectively check back with when i need to check back with them i don't need to do 
individual weekly uh, check-ins, you know? So get involved with that. We have male and female groups. Um, and then finally, we have eBooks available. So if you're like, oh, neither of those things want or they don't enthuse me, but I would like to support the guy's work. You know, I would like to, you saw flexing your pecs, it's disgusting. Um, I would like to support the guys and get something from that. We do have eBooks available. Like we're constantly putting out new ones. We have a few in the pipeline, um, but they'll probably come out around Christmas time because we both have exams coming up and you know yourself. Um, and yeah, so eBooks, get involved with that. We have different training templates for the amount of days that you have available to train. We also have a beginner's ebook. Um, and as Gary said, the best place to find us is the Facebook group. And the best place to keep up with, excuse me, the best place to keep up with all the content we put out is the newsletter, which Gary said came out today, but it really came out on Sunday because this comes out on Thursday, Gary. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> today is Sunday. Um, well, yeah, that's it. Uh, you know, do the, the usual, like the video, comment, share, subscribe. You know, if you're listening to this on audio, give us that five-star review. All of that stuff does actually help. I know like the whole YouTube or podcast community always say that stuff. And it's kind of like cliched at this stage where it's like, oh, smash the subscribe button, smash that like button. But like all that stuff does actually help like the YouTube algorithm and the podcast algorithms to actually get our content viewed, which obviously helps us achieve our mission statement, which is to help more individuals, you know? But anyway, I'm gonna wrap it up there. Um, do you have anything else to say, Gary? Just that it is in fact too easy, other than that. Literally. It literally is. <laughs>